Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Father, I offer this prayer over our time on teaching that you anoint me with your Holy Spirit, that you anoint our hearts to receive the word and that it comes to life. For us in the awesome, powerful, victorious, eternal, everlasting, powerful name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen, you may have a seat. Matthew chapter one, verse one, and here we are 11 months into it, and we are at Matthew chapter 20, following Jesus through the lens of scripture. This is literally following Jesus in our study. Each footstep, each word in his entire journey of his life. Now Jesus has made it clear to us that following him is more than just a system of belief. It is a life, ready for this, dedicated to obedience, sacrifice, and laying your life down for him. You know, there's something that we do when we believe in Christ. It's more than just a mental ascent to truth or believing with our hearts, but it, it is a, a life transformation. That's what it means to follow Christ. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has given us multiple times where he said, do this, where he said, this is how you respond to the gospel. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. So what does a Christian do? They seek Christ first. That is what all believers are called to do. We are called to seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. We're called to seek the face of the Lord through prayer, through Bible study, through being close to him. We are to pursue him with all of our hearts. One of the most challenging New Testament verses, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, says this. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, notice it says, let him, let him. Jesus, by his grace, is telling the believer, let him do the following things. And what are those things? To deny himself, to take up his cross, and to follow me. So these are biblical Christian responses to being saved, to being born again, is you give your life to Christ. You, the first one there is you deny, he says you deny himself. That means that we resist temptation. We resist temptation and we say no to the flesh. You are tempted with sin. I am tempted with sin. We are all tempted with sin, but we're called to fight it. Fight it with the armor of God. To, to do spiritual warfare, and we can win the victory through Christ. Okay? And sometimes we just have to crucify our flesh. We just have to, we're, we're in our temptation. We, we want to live out our sin. We want to live it out, but we just have to say no. We just have to say no. It's called discipline. It's called spiritual disciplines. And then he says uh, in verse 24, he says, take up his cross. What does that phrase mean to take up the cross? Take up the cross. It means you're willing to pay any price for Christ's sake. It's a willingness to endure shame, reproach, rejection, uh, persecution, and even martyrdom for his sake. How far are you willing to go for Christ? Everybody answer that in your heart right now. How far are you willing to go in this life for Jesus? 
How far are you willing to go? He says, take up the cross. And then he says, follow me at the very end of the verse. That phrase, follow me, means we obey Christ. We understand the gospel. And if you understand the gospel, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the grave, he's given you his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is going to give you the ability to obey Christ. It's the beautiful call of the gospel. So there's action. There's action on the Christian part, okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We have a responsibility to evangelize, to reach out to our friends, to reach out to our relatives, to reach out to our loved ones with the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says God commands all men everywhere to repent, for he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, and we give them the medicine for their sin, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are things that we do. Now, the title of my message was Serving the Lord. Matthew 6, 33, Matthew 16, uh, 24, Matthew 4, 19. I call this serving the Lord. This is what, I've, this is what it means to serve the Lord, that, that, that you uh, put your hands to the plow and that you serve the Lord with all your heart. Now, I want to give you an outline. The outline of my sermon this morning is, we're actually going to go to verse 34, but I want the outline. I'm going to teach in these three categories in Matthew Chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, I'm going to give you the basis for our serving. What is the foundation? Why do I serve Christ? Why should you serve Christ? Those verses will answer that question. Then we're going to look at the cost of serving, verses 20 through 24. And then we're going to look at the example for serving, which is verses 25 through 28. And then verses 29 through 34, we're going to look at... um, how Jesus opens these people's eyes after he heals them. So let's look this morning at serving the Lord. So the first category is verses 17 through 19 in our text, and I call this the basis for our serving. Or in other words, you could use this, this is the foundation. This is why you should serve Jesus. Let's take a look at it. Verse 17 says, Now when Jesus was going to Jerusalem, He took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, I want to pause right there and talk about verse 17 for a minute. How many of you guys have ever gone on a long walk through your neighborhood? How many of you guys have ever gone on a long walk? One of the greatest things about going on a long walk is you have a lot of time to think. You know, that's one of of the things I love about exercising, going out and walking through the neighborhood, is I have a lot of quiet time just to sit back and reflect in my mind and think about things I'm facing. Well, it's no different here with the disciples. You see, the disciples and Jesus, as this is being spoken, they are right outside the city of Jericho, okay? And they're traveling by foot from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now, geography. Jericho is a 1,000 feet below sea level, okay? Jerusalem, on the other hand, is... 15 miles away from Jericho, and it is 2,500 feet um, above sea level. So in, the, in, in a, over a 15-mile span, the disciples are fixing to walk by foot 15 miles with an elevation from 1,000 feet below sea level to 2,500 feet below sea level, above sea level. Now, to help you understand that, get on the treadmill and set it at about, five, about a 5-degree incline and go for 15 miles. 
That's hard work. That can be very difficult. But Jesus is planting these words in the disciples' mind to give them something to think about as they are traveling from Jericho to, Jer to Jerusalem. This is what he gives them to think about. Jesus knows what's going to happen at Jerusalem, but the disciples don't. So Jesus is preparing their minds to give them something heavy to think about because they are fixing they are fixing to witness the greatest event in human history. Okay? And notice also it says there in verse 17. It says, he took the 12 disciples aside. Literally, he pulled them aside in secret is, is what the text is saying. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever you want to stress something important to someone, you don't just go to a public and, hey, Bob, I need to tell you about something. And then you just blab it out. No, you say, hey, Bob, come over here, man. We need to have a talk. When somebody says that, that means it's very serious. So Jesus, this is a very serious conversation that he's pulled the disciples aside, huddled them up there on the side of the road, and said, hey, guys, this is what's going to happen, okay? But they don't get it, as we're going to see in the next text. But still, Jesus gives them something serious to think about. It's not that they don't get it. They get it, but they don't have the right response. You'll see in a minute. Verse 18 he says, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And on the third day, he will rise again. Now, I, put, I circled the words that I want to focus on in my teaching of these verses. This, my friend, is the basis of why you serve Jesus. So when somebody says, why do you serve Jesus? I'm fixing to give you your answer to tell this world why you serve Jesus. It's because of what he did for you at the cross. Here Jesus is predicting for the third time what's going to happen to him, him shortly. And what I want you to understand this morning, here we are 2,000 years later, is he did this for you. Okay? In his omniscience, in his deity, being eternal God, he did this for each and every one of us. He did this for you. The first one, it says, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed. Paradidemi. It means to give over treacherously by deceit. He's going he's to he's be, he's, he's be given over in a deceitful manner. Meaning, it was not right. It was not just in the way that he will be handed over to be crucified. And notice it will be accomplished at the hands of not just the Jews, but it will be accomplished at the hands of the Jews and the Gentiles. You see, in a way, we all crucified Christ because our sin, it, it, our sin demanded a sacrifice. So Jesus had to go to the cross and he paid the price for our sins at the cross. But it, was, it says in verse, in verse 18, the chief priests and the scribes, and then in verse 19, they will deliver him to the Gentiles. So it was at the hands of all men. The second word up there in verse 18 is condemned. Katakrino. It means given a guilty verdict and sentenced to death. In a kangaroo court of evil men, Jesus was condemned and sentenced to death in the cruelest fashion, crucifixion. Jesus 
was condemned so you wouldn't have to be condemned. The judgment for your sin, the judgment for my sin, came down on the Lord Jesus Christ. He was condemned. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was the propitiation. He was the sacrifice. He was the lamb. And he was condemned to death. Why? For you and me. I, 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 we could talk about 2,000 years ago and all the things that was taking place, but theologically, it was for you and for me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did it because he loved you. He loved you. The third word up there, I circled, it means to mock, impasio. It means to ridicule, to jeer, to deride, to make fun of. This wasn't easy. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, in his hypostatic union being 100% man, he felt emotions. He felt feelings. And he was completely betrayed. At one point, the scripture says that the chief priest put a bag over his head. They put a bag over his head so he couldn't see. Then they punched him right in the face. They said, prophesy, Christ, who hit you? I mean, it was a complete humiliation on Christ's part. Why did he do it? I'm going to say, why did he do it? And I want you to say, for me. Why did he do it? For you. The next word is scourged, mastigio. It means to be flogged, uh, beaten with a whip, severely tortured to the brink of death. I could just see these guys on the side of the road there at Jericho. They're huddled on the side of the road, and the disciples' minds are just like, Whoa, 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 wait. I thought we were going to Jerusalem. I thought we were going to set up a kingdom. We're going to rule and reign. Your kingdom's coming in. You're going to overthrow Rome. And this is, this is throwing them for a loop because Jesus had to come for our salvation first. Then the fifth word in our text, verse 19, it says, uh, crucified, stario, to kill by hanging on a tree. Jesus was fastened and nailed to a cross to die a criminal's death. And who was it for? For you, for me. He did that for you and me. And then the beautiful thing, I, I'm, I'm going to go a little forward and back up again. But in verse 19, and after their, their jaws are dropped, they're like, whoa, wow, are you serious? This is going to happen? Look at the end of verse 19. He says, but on the third day, I will rise again. And who did he rise again for? For you, for me. He rose again for us, for our eternal salvation, so that we could be forgiven. He has the victory. He went through the dark tunnels, through Calvary, through the persecution, through the difficulty, through the suffering for our sin. But in the end, he rose from the grave and defeated death, hell, and the grave by his resurrection. I don't know about you, but I'm staking my, my life with the Lord Jesus Christ because he rose from the grave. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he did it for you and me. 
verse 19, the resurrection. But I want to go back. I want to drive home. Again, it's this basis of our serving. He did it for us. In the first century, death by crucifixion was grisly, barbaric, and ugly. Yet it was God's plan from the foundation of the world to crush his beloved son in order to save you and me. Jesus was the lamb led to the slaughter to redeem us from the curse of sin. And I'm going into detail because I want you to capture what was taking place in this conversation between Jesus and his disciples there in Jericho before they begin this 15-mile journey up to Jerusalem uh, to redeem us from the curse of sin. Going to the cross and what Jesus experienced at Golgotha was ugly, very, very ugly. The, The word Golgotha, place of the skull, it was a dark, hideous place reserved for criminals to be put to death, but it was ugly. It was very ugly, but so is our sin. Our sin is very ugly. Before you and I came to Christ, our hearts were dark in sin and rebellion, but then Christ came into our life, praise the Lord, and our dark soul was cleansed and made white as snow, free. That's the beauty of the gospel. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's no condemnation because the condemnation fell on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So I think I've driven home my first point, verse 17 through 19. This is the basis of our serving. He died on the cross for us. He rose from the grave. This is the foundation. This is why we serve him. He is God. He was the sacrifice for your sin. He has forgiven you, and he has served you well on the cross. And Jesus has served me so well, I have no other option but to serve him. And I hope you feel the same way. This is the foundation. To rebel against him, to walk away from him, is like a slap in the face. It's to disregard the sacrifice. It's to not understand the beauty of the gospel. And I hope and pray this morning that we understand it. All right, let's look at the cost of serving. The cost of serving, the second part is verses 20 through 24. We'll be here for a little bit. Verse 20 says, Then the mother of the Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Remember what I said in the opening of my sermon? I don't know if they quite get it. Because why are they asking these que- why are they asking this kind of question? They because they don't fully understand it. You know, they're very slow to learn, very slow to pick it up, just like me anyway. Hopefully, maybe you too. But here we have the mother of James and John with a huge request for her sons. She's asking for a place of prominence in God's kingdom for her sons. Let's see what Jesus says, verse 22. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? But her and her sons, they do not understand what they are asking. Here's the deal. They think that the kingdom is a matter of position and title. And unfortunately, that mentality has crept into the church. It's not about positions of authority or positions of title or who's in charge or none of that. 
It's about how we can serve each other. It's how we, how we can serve the body of Christ. I see myself as, as a pastor and, and the elders, we see ourselves as under rowers in the bottom of the ship, keeping it going, propelling the body forward, serving the body of Christ. That is the way we should see it. It's, it's not about position. Verse 22, uh, Jesus mentions this cup. What is the cup that's talked about in verse 22? The cup is Christ's suffering. It is Christ's suffering that he is fixing to endure at the 15 miles away when they get to Jerusalem. The cup is Jesus' rejection. The cup is Jesus' crucifixion. And for Jesus, the cup is even the substitutionary atonement. But look at what they said at the end of verse 22. But they said to him, it's, it's like, they don't know what they're saying. <laughs> kind of like us in the very beginning when we make all these promises to God. At the end of verse 22, we are able. We are able. You sure? You sure? I imagine what Christ was thinking. It was, they, were, they were fixing to witness the crucifixion. They were fixing to witness the resurrection. They were fixing to witness the greatest event in human history. And they, and they said, we are able. You know, praise the Lord. I mean, they're pursuing Christ. They're following Christ. We know the story. We know what happens to Peter and to the disciples and all these guys. And some of them fall along the way and, and don't quite make it. But at least their heart is there, right? I give them that much. I mean, my heart is there. But the true testing comes when there's persecution, when there's suffering, when there's difficulty. Then our tr the true colors of our faith comes out. Let's look at what Jesus said in verse 23. But he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it is prepared by my Father. Now, let's put this out there. Jesus' words here do not mean that the disciples will atone for sin like Jesus, okay? It's not saying that. But they will suffer. They will suffer for being a Christian. These two sons right here, these two sons, which is uh, James and John, will experience this baptism firsthand. In Acts chapter 12, uh, a persecution breaks out against the church, and Herod has this James killed. Look at Acts chapter 12, verse 2. This is Acts chapter 12, verse 2. Then he, talking about Herod, killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So these two, of the, one of these brothers here, uh, dies at the hands of Herod in Acts chapter 12. So Jesus is speaking prophetically of what was going to happen to him, and it comes to pass in Acts chapter 12. Now, who's the other guy here? John. This is the same John that wrote the book of Revelation, wrote the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and wrote the gospel of John. John, at the end of his life, will be imprisoned on the island of Patmos, where he writes the book of Revelation. He was placed there. It was not a resort. It was not a vacation. 
John was a political prisoner. He, and he was suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. Church history also tells us that he will be tortured by being boiled in oil, but will survive this boiling. They, they uh, endured intense persecution and suffering and difficulty for Christ, just as Jesus says right here. My friend, I'm not saying you're going to be boiled in oil this week. I'm not saying that you're going to be taken a political prisoner. But the, our, our world is moving away from Christianity. They're going away from Christianity. Okay? And when you hold to biblical values and you hold to the Lord Jesus Christ, are you willing to endure the difficulty and the persecution and the trials that come with holding to God's word? That's, this, this text is not talking about health. This is not talking about suffering because of a disease or a sickness or, or an ailment. This is talking about difficulty for serving the Lord. How far are you willing to go for the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's ask the question, do we even fully understand what Jesus calls us to when he calls us to follow him? He calls us to put on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and walk that road just like these disciples did from Jericho to Jerusalem and to live our lives walking to the cross and living for him. And when you do that, you will face difficulty. You will face persecution. And I think Peter says this well in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, for believers who experience difficulty and follow Christ. Listen to what he says. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice in the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. So there's a blessing. In this passage, Jesus is talking about those who experience difficulty, trials, and tribulations for following Christ. You know, it puts, them, it puts rubber on our backs when we face difficulties. It strengthens us in our faith. Jesus says, if you want to be a part of his kingdom, come. Come. All people, come. Be a part of my kingdom. Come follow me. Come be a part of the kingdom of God. He invites all all people, everywhere, to come be a part. But if you are coming for your own prestige, your own exaltation, your own name, your own glory, you will not get it with Jesus. You will not get it with Christ. We have to be willing to endure whatever it takes to follow Christ. And friends, you participate in Christ's suffering and rejection when you refuse to be conformed to this world. Christians, we do not run towards sin. We turn away from sin, and we turn away from worldly lust. We reject the philosophies of this world for the truth of God's word. And anything that contradicts the word of God, we call it what it is, a lie. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition rather than on Christ. When our government passes ungodly laws, we respond in peaceful civil disobedience. Why? 
because God's law is above man's law, okay? This attitude, this belief, this way of life will be difficult. The world will laugh, mock, and call you a fool. There will be difficulties and challenges, and you will suffer for faithfulness to Christ. And I'm afraid many today will not bear this cross. They will choose the world over Jesus. Please, please do not let this be you. Come to your senses. Leave the world behind and follow Christ. Is it worth it? Man, it's, 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 it's mind-blowingly amazing. It's worth it. The cost of serving the Lord is high, but the reward is infinite and is glorious and is beautiful. It's freedom, freedom for our souls, freedom for our hearts. It's this, it's this, this most amazing, beautiful, glorious, blessed adventure on planet Earth is living our life to serve Christ and walking towards him. Despite that incline, despite, I, I, bet, I bet them disciples, man, when they got to Jerusalem, I'd like to see pictures of their calves. Because, you know, they probably had those mega calves. And they were physically worn out. But they had these things to think about as they were making their way to Jerusalem. It's beautiful, it's glorious, it's worth it. And one day, we're going to step out of this life, we're going to step into eternity. We're going to see the glory of heaven. And you're going to be like, that cost was nothing compared to the glory of heaven. It's going to be beautiful serving him. All right, finally, let's look at our example. So we, 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 we looked at the, um, we looked first at the basis of our serving, the cost of serving, our example in serving. Verses 25 to 28. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Now, again, Gentile greatness in the eyes of the, of the world, the Gentile world, was being in charge, was making a name for yourself. It was the, it was the head honcho, the one who wore all the badges. And, but that's not so with the kingdom of God. Verse 26 yet it shall not be among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. For just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So who is our example for serving? Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is our example for serving. Jesus was the greatest servant of all time. He came from the glory of heaven to the filthy dirt of this earth. He laid his life down for you and me. Will you lay your life down for him? You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Serve like Jesus. Follow your Lord and Savior. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Have a servant's heart towards all people towards your enemies, towards those you agree with, towards those you disagree with. Love them, speak the truth to them, be kind to them. Serve the Lord, serve your family, serve your church, serve your community. This word servant here is, is doulos. It literally means slave. You are bound to Christ 
as a slave. You hang on every word he speaks. He is your master in the Lord of your soul. Why? Because you're a doulos. You are a servant. You are a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's not about a title. It's not about having power it's, or being in charge. It's following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a beautiful portrait I present to you this morning of what it means to serve the Lord, serving the Lord. I love that phrase, serve the Lord. By the grace of God, we will serve the Lord. Not out of legalism, uh, not out of duty, but out of love and honor and respect for what Christ has done for us. Amen? Let's finish up this passage. Verse 29. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed them. And behold, two blind men sitting on the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitudes warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. They could not be silent. They were going to proclaim his name. They were going to call out his name. Their hearts had been opened. They knew who Jesus was, and what, nobody was going to silence them. Verse 32. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Wow, what a statement. What a question that the Lord Jesus Christ presents to them. What do you want me to do for you? Wow, that is, that's just an awesome statement to hear God ask you, What do you want me to do for you? Look at what they say in verse 33 and 34. They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now, verses 29 through 34 is clearly about physical healing, okay? Jesus touched them, and they were physically healed. And that was just the norm for Christ as he went out and he preached the gospel. He went around healing all who were oppressed by sickness and disease and oppressed by the devil. He just touched them. He just spoke the word, and bam, they were healed. But for the sake of my sermon, the sake of my teaching, looking at verses 33 and 34, I, I want to talk about our spiritual eyes, okay? This is physical healing, okay? But, but, but look at verse 33. Lord, that our eyes may be opened. That is our prayer. That is my prayer for each and every one of you guys and those listening online, that our eyes may be opened. Are our eyes opened? Or are we deceived by the world? You're either deceived by the world or your eyes are open. There's no other option. Are our eyes open to the beautiful, glorious, magnificent truth of Jesus. I think some of us need to pray this morning and say, Lord, please open my eyes. Please open my eyes. Let me see this. Open my eyes, Lord. Please, God, I beg you, get on your face before the Lord. Get prostrate on the ground before the Lord. Cry out to him and say, Lord, please open my eyes. 
the more he opens your eyes, the more that your eyes are open, the more that you will live and surrender to him. On the contrary, the more a person is deceived or their eyes are darkened, the less they will see of the glory of God. I've been in both camps as a Christian, okay? I first came to Christ, my eyes were open, I was shouting hallelujah, I was singing, I was dancing, I was praising the Lord, I was rejoicing. But then over a period of time, sin crept in, deception crept in, compromise crept in, and my eyes went slowly, my spiritual eyes slowly closed. And what I needed was the Lord to open my eyes. And I think some of us need to pray that this morning. Because when you open your eyes, verse 33, look at verse 34. At the end of verse 34, their eyes received sight and they followed him. When we receive our spiritual eyes or when God reawakens our soul, our heart, and we see with our eyes, you will naturally desire to follow Jesus. And you won't be deterred by the long climb uphill. 3,500 feet over a 15 mile span. It's about a five degree, four, 4.8, 4.9 degree incline. Nothing will stand in the way of you wanting to follow the Lord and serve him with all your heart. That, my friend, I present to you this morning is what it means to serve the Lord. Our basis is the cross and the resurrection. The cost of serving, it will cost you everything. It will cost you difficulties in life. But again, it is worth it. And our example is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, Please open our eyes. Please open our hearts. God, I ask you, Lord, over each and every person here, break through, crack open the hardened shell, the deception, the lies the lukewarmness. Help us, Lord, by opening our hearts to seeing the beautiful, beautiful truth that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And then he went to Calvary for me. He rose from the grave. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Stir, stir each and every one of us this morning. Stir this body. Stir those watching online. Just like you stirred me this week as I was studying this. Help us to serve you, Lord. Help us to love you. Your love is powerful. Your love is great. Your mercy is forever enduring. So Lord, open our eyes that we may serve you all the days of our life. For you are worth it.
Jesus' powerful name I pray.